In the grand theater of the cosmos, the success of space missions hinges upon precision, openness, and a shared understanding among every crew member. From the engineers hunched over blueprints, the astronauts securing their harnesses, to the ground control teams monitoring every telemetry blip, the margin for error is virtually non-existent. Transparency, akin to a well-lit cockpit amidst the void of space, ensures every action, every decision is conducted with a shared understanding and mission-focused objective. One slip, one hidden fault, and the journey that began as a dazzling rocket launch could rapidly descend into a catastrophic failure. Now picture this interstellar odyssey not as a feat of space exploration, but as a metaphor for the B2B SaaS landscape. The vast expanse of space parallels the boundless possibilities of the digital world. In this realm, the SaaS journey demands the same precision, openness, and shared understanding for success. Products need to be built with clear insights into user needs. The roadmap needs to be charted with a deep understanding of market dynamics. And every team member, like astronauts, needs to be tuned to the same frequency. In this expansive digital cosmos, the open source model shines as a beacon of transparency. It mirrors the illuminated cockpit in our space journey, empowering every crew member with the right information, fostering collaboration, and setting the stage for success. But is open source for everyone? At the helm of this spaceship navigating the SAS cosmos, we find the answer with Ashley Kramer, CMO and CSO of GitLab, and at the time of this interview, acting CTO. She is a seasoned voyager of the SAS world, and in real life, someone who actually worked at NASA. No, seriously, go check her LinkedIn. Ashley embraces the principles of openness and transparency that are as vital to SAS success as they are in a space mission. She understands the value of clear communication, the benefits of customer feedback, and the importance of dogfooding, using your own product to ensure it's up to the mark. Ashley's experience at GitLab makes her an invaluable guide for those seeking to chart a course in the open source universe. In today's episode, we'll dive into Ashley's extensive insights into the open source model, from the power of transparency to the significance of regular release schedules. We'll explore how she champions these principles at GitLab and how other companies can harness these strategies for their own journey. Strap in and get ready for a cosmic ride through SaaS. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Ashley Kramer speaks to Patrick Campbell at SaaS Talk 2022 about the open source model. They talk about cultivating a technical culture at GitLab, if open source is really for everybody, the downsides to open source, how GitLab has differed from Ashley's previous roles, and finally, a Q&A from you at SaaS Talk 2022. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for a look into the open source model. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about Ashley's advice. First up, Ashley talks about cultivating a technical culture at GitLab. Who are you? What do you do? Tell us everything. I'm Ashley Kramer. I am currently Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Strategy Officer at GitLab. And as we were just discussing, acting CTO um, while we look for our next CTO. Are you familiar with GitLab at all? I am, but I'd love to hear it from the acting CTO as well as CMO. So GitLab is um, a DevSecOps platform. And what we do is we provide a platform for software companies to build, secure, and deploy their software more efficiently. And no better time than now to be able to gain 
those efficiencies and that productivity. The way that I ended up at GitLab was my background is in engineering, computer science, product, had several roles at NASA, Oracle, Amazon, little cool company called Tableau, now acquired by Salesforce and um, Alteryx. GitLab just really made sense from a marketing perspective because I've lived the life of a developer. I've done it. I've been there. And um, it was just a natural fit. I started about six months ago and it's, it's been a fun ride so far. What's really interesting is the fact that you have that background or GitLab, I don't know why, but it just makes like perfect sense. Like the vibe that I've gotten from like seeing GitLab from the outside is everyone is very technical. Everyone is very first principles. Like, is that true? Like, tell us a little bit about that because with an engineering background and, and maybe you're like, well, I did that for a while. Then I went and did marketing or something like that. But like, tell us a little bit of like about the culture at GitLab because I do think it's very unique in addition to being one of the very big pioneers in remote work and things like that. It is a very technical company. And that's that's because our founders were both engineers. Sid C. Brandy is still our CEO um, and, and very much came from a technical background. And it was an open source project. That's how the company started in 2011. Uh, fun fact, exactly 10 days after the first code check-in in our open source project, we went public. Kind of a cool story there. But um, yeah, the company is very technically focused because that's who we sell to. That's why it made it a natural fit for somebody with a technical background to come in and figure out how to message this to developers. But also as we move up market, more of that enterprise, what does the CIO care about? What does the head of IT care about? And so that's the the shift we're seeing now is splitting our messaging from the developer champion that's going to find our product and to the person that's going to sign the check and, and want to deploy it for every DevSecOps professional in the organization. Yeah, and I want to get into the open source to kind of building a company, the product incubation, which I think obviously you guys are the poster child of, but kind of curious in that move, especially in like the CMO role, dev products so much what's called progress growth now where like they're coming in, they're using it. Please don't like make me talk to someone. Like, let me actually like try it out. Let me like hook some things up, do some things. Now you're going up market where all of a sudden it's like, we need every check box checked, all these other things. What's been like that type of move? And if you could speak to like, internally how that is, because I'm sure that wasn't a frictionless conversation about how you should sell or how you should market up market. Yeah, I mean, it's it is. It's definitely a balance and we have to figure out the right way that the hardest part is actually in the messaging. The easier part now, a lot of people say, what does chief strategy officer mean? You probably get this too. And at GitLab, what it means is I actually run all product led growth efforts. So the product and engineering that goes into exactly what you said, those developers that want to try the product, give it some time, use it for free even and never pick up the phone and talk to a salesperson, they can do that. And so we have natural organic channels where we drive people to the platform to do that. And of course we go to all the places to advertise to them. But then when it comes to moving up market and that grown up messaging, it's just a balance. It's now talking about the ROI, the cost efficiencies, all of the things that somebody that's gonna spend a decent amount of money can understand. And, and where we're really starting to hit home, particularly depending on the current economic climate we're in is we can provide tool consolidation. So instead of using 10 different best-in-class disjointed tools and then paying somebody to build those integrations, bring in our platform, then you get those efficiencies, that cost saving, and really that seamless experience for everybody in any kind of R&D function. And if you found, I know you haven't been there since the beginning, but it started off with a lot of people being like, is this GitHub? Like, what is this? And then very quickly it got into what you just described. I, I can't remember the exact positioning, but like DevSec, you know, et cetera. That journey 
it sounds extremely difficult because you're kind of, you're not making something up, but you're kind of like, you are bringing together those 10 things as you just described. What has GitLab found is successful on that journey? Like, how do you even make that journey? Like, why even make that journey as well? Because it would have been easy maybe to kind of be like a, not a me too product, but like a, you know, a very equivalent product in a different market rather than creating this larger market. Yeah, so several things here. The good news is we're in an estimated $40 billion market. And between us and GitHub, who are the biggest competitors in the market, we've only scratched the surface. Small percentage of that is actually being sold to right now. The the second thing I'll say there is the most unfortunate part about it all is our names. It starts the same. And somebody corrected me the other day, and there's literally two letters different. That's the hard part. We actually only see GitHub in 20% of our deals because it's such a massive market. And the way I like to describe the difference is, is twofold. One, we are an open core platform, so anybody can contribute to our platform, but we're largely used for enterprises to secure their code. GitHub's kind of the opposite where they're a closed core platform, but a lot of people like to use it as public code repositories. GitHub is more focused on developers, whereas we mentioned we have the platform play of consolidate all of your dev, sec, ops, tools together into one platform. And that's where we really see massive differentiation. If you want the long play of what you can start bringing more of the R&D professionals and consolidate more of the tools into one platform, that's the GitLab play, but I can't change the name. I know, that's, don't do it. Changing names is so hard. And there's no playbook. We changed our name once when we were price intelligently to profit well. And then now joining Paddle, it's just, there's no playbook. It's terrible. But would you describe, you probably wouldn't describe it this way, but give me like a nod, basically. Is it safe to say that like, and this is how I perceive it, GitHub is kind of like starting out kind of like the, I want to say the kids table. And then GitLab is more of, we're a proper, you know, tech organization, R&D organization. Is that more or less how you might describe it? You got to be careful. Reframe what I'm trying to say. Like, I like see my legal team all over this. Yeah, yeah. They're like, (laughs) Microsoft's going to send some paper. No, I mean, again, it's it's really just very different. The GitHub play is put your public code here, right? And then try to figure it out. We do have really well-known, large financial institutions like UBS or, you know, T-Mobile on the mobile side that are using us in massive ways. And of course, don't want their code to be public. And of course, have to have the security and the compliance and and everything involved in what we have in our platform. Again, I would say that's a core differentiator of where people see our value initially versus, and both of us, we house public code as well. And they, I'm sure, house enterprise secure code that I think is a perception in the world. And and I'm okay with that perception because I see more value in the GitLab play, but I would say that's a core difference. Next, Ashley talks about if open source is really for everybody. Let's maybe dig into that, the open source side, because my initial reaction to there is that those large entities, they look at open source and they go, oh, not secure. Maybe start from a little bit of the beginning, like this whole concept of like open source product incubation and how open source has like really driven a lot of the growth here as well. We're open core now, which means part of the platform is open, but of course some of the other parts is not just to make sure that everybody's code can stay, stay secure. Um, from my perspective, having a product leadership background, I used to be a chief product officer in some past lives. You know, we spent years and years at several different companies trying to figure out 
how to incorporate customer feedback, how to make sure we're balancing priorities of what we need to do to stay ahead of the game versus serve our current customers. Everything from community ideas, forums, which by the way, customers hate because you get 10,000 pieces of feedback and you address two and you respond to 2,000, you're making everybody just not happy. What the beauty of OpenCore is, is you can have contributors sitting within your company and have contributors that are actually able to be able to go in and say, you know what, I'm not going to go give GitLab this feedback. I'm just going to build it in and I'm going to merge it. I'm going to send it to them and they can merge it into their code base. And the beauty of that is then we can give it to all of our other, our thousands and thousands of customers, our millions of users can then leverage that. And so from my perspective, that's like from a product hat standpoint, that is the best way to really develop and innovate together. And that's a huge competitive advantage for us. Why don't most companies do this? Like why isn't Tableau, like open source, like that all makes total sense. Like, oh, you want this feature and you're a dev oriented product, go build it. That's amazing. And then we'll merge it. I, as a company, get an advantage because I didn't have to build that thing, but other people could use it. And some are more official than others, you know, because of, you know, probably quality levels and stuff like that. Why doesn't everybody do it? You know, you kind of have to have it at the core of your company, I think. And you have to understand that. And it's deeply embedded, deeply rooted in everything GitLab believes in. You know, we're a fully transparent company because that's what open source is. You know, even when I worked at Tableau, while they weren't open source and they didn't expose their code base, people would always crack open the vizs. And there are Tableau developers in the world. You can you can go and you can Google it and you will get back a bunch of job recs that want a Tableau developer. They're missing out on a little bit of an opportunity, I think, is that the developer is working within the company and making all of these changes for their company to leverage. But that didn't necessarily mean that the rest of the customers in the world could, but they didn't insert as open source. And it's really, really, it's just like changing culture. The culture you build from the beginning, I'm going to give a talk about that later today, is really really, really hard to change just like a name. And so it's, to me, it goes back to the foundations and the roots of the company. Do you think folks who don't have this at the core, really curious if you think people can actually change that? Because it's such a shift that if you're not 15 people at making a shift, if you're hundreds, if not thousands of people, it's probably really, really difficult. So I'm super curious on that. And the other thing I'm kind of curious about is like, this is kind of where Salesforce did without open source. They have an entire cottage industry of Salesforce developers and implementers and all these other things. And they support that community as does like HubSpot with their agency plays and stuff like that. If they can't change it, is that like the next best thing? Or maybe they can change it is kind of my question. When you think about some of the communities out there, you mentioned the Salesforce ones. I'll pick on that one for a second. They own that community and it's their community. What we consider our community at GitLab is the wider community. The wider open source community is ours. And the GitLab community is specifically customers and our GitLab team members. And so from that perspective, we've opened it up. And while we foster it, we're contributing to all kinds of other projects as well. And we're part of this wider community. And that would be harder to pivot to, I think, if you didn't start originally some of the approaches I've taken at some past companies is making open source like a portion, like a marketplace or, you know, a portion of it. So then you can integrate it, but it's really hard to embed it as part of your core platform. If you didn't start that way at the beginning would be my assumption. So if you didn't start that way, are you kind of like SOL? Like, or is there, oh, we can have this sidecar product start as open source and kind of go from there and get some of the advantages or like what's your take on that? I mean it's not impossible. I think everybody knows the story of Elon Musk waking up one day and saying I'm gonna expose my autonomous my autonomous car AI. People ask me about that all the time because people think that's nutty what my husband and I were just talking about that the other day. He's like that's crazy. I said not if he thinks they can do it best and fastest and what everybody else contributes is only gonna help Tesla be better. 
I would never say it's impossible, but it takes a lot of thought and a lot of confidence. What I'm hearing, if I filter all this, is open source advantages. You get a lot more people working on things. It helps you prioritize where you don't even have to prioritize certain things because someone's just going to get passionate about it and figure it out. Helps build a true community rather than like a forum. But it's also one of those things where it has to be like the center of the ethos. And I imagine that's so important because ultimately when you're an exec team debating something, if it's not in the ethos, it's pretty easy to be like, well, it's just the open source thing. Like we're not going to fund that or we're going to, you know, reduce support there or something like that, which basically kills all the advantages. Is that kind of a good summary? It has to be part of the ethos of the company. The other thing that's really important in open source or an open core company is the transparency, not just within the company, but to the world. Because you can have people contribute code where you're like, we don't want to do that as part of our plan, as part of our innovation. And you have to be open and honest with them about that. There's a piece about you can go to GitLab's handbook. It's completely publicly available. It talks about our three-year vision, our product strategy, our roadmap, individually, my OKRs in marketing even. We give that level of transparency for that exact reason. So the wider community that's contributing has the why behind when we say, you know what, thank you for contributing, but maybe that's not going to work as part of the overall platform. And now, Ashley talks about the downsides to open source. When people go down this path, what are some of the major disadvantages? Because there's trade-offs. Like, there's got to be some trade-offs where is it a lack of control? Is it a lack of, like, quality control on certain things? Like, what's the downside here? I don't wouldn't call it a downside as much as having that really clear process around who's merging code, right? That It has to come to us to merge to the platform. And we have to do all those compliance checks and all the quality checks. We have clear guidance out there on the quality of code. We don't want to integrate code that is below our bar. It's all about having the process. We have people who are MR coaches. MR is merge request. MR coaches at the company. And so if somebody submits something and it's not quite there, we'll go back and coach them. And we'll add it to the documentation and the examples and the tools that we give to our contributors to use. And so I wouldn't, I still think it's a massive advantage, but you do need to have those checks and balances in place. Otherwise, things could be, get out of control pretty quickly, I'd imagine. And the enterprise folks, like you mentioned T-Mobile and a couple of others, we kind of touched on this before, but how do they view this? Do they view it as, eh, they don't really care as long as it checks the boxes they need? Or is this an advantage of why they would choose you over another platform? Or, or what's their take? I mean, I think the core advantage for them is the fact that we bring DevSec and Ops together. So that's selling point number one. When it comes to the open core side of it, they do like the flexibility that if we don't like that this button's here and it should be here, and but maybe it's just never going to make the GitLab product priority. But they agree that it would be a good move. We can go and do it. And because they're not paying resources and spending money on those people that used to tie all of those best-in-class DevSec ops tool to get tools together, they often make them into GitLab contributors. Like that'll become a real thing in the future, which is a GitLab, we call it resident contributor, sitting there as a full-time job to fix the things that they would like to see different, fix, improve, evolve. And, and I think that's a core opportunity for us in the future. For you as an exec, you know, you've been six months, I think you said, it's got to be a bit of a change to have all of your OKRs public to those meetings are probably taken a lot more seriously than like past companies sometimes. Like, what's it like for you? Is it something where it's refreshing because you're like, oh, we're, we're all in on something and we're truly all in versus previous companies or not? Is it frustrating at times? Like, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Several things there. For me, it's refreshing because I, I like to hold myself very accountable. 
And I like to see that others also feel that accountability. The second thing, I've always had a challenge in my career. I'm a, you can look at any Daisy model, any of the strengths finders. I'm a high driver. So I like to go, I like to get things done. And often as an executive, I have to tell myself to stop and explain the why. But when you have very clear OKRs, this is what Sid, our CEO, cares about this quarter. And this is why it's very easy for me to step back and say, oh, okay, we're going to align those because of this. And this is going to be our focus. So from that perspective, it's been really refreshing. And the last thing I'll say is the transparency. You know, several past jobs I've left thinking like, am I going to get fired today? Did I just tell my team something that I'm not allowed to say? Because it's like, it's really hard to understand what we're allowed to communicate and what's not. And so at GitLab, it's pretty easy. Everything's fully transparent. We document it. And then the few things that can't be, we have something we call a safe framework where we tell the company, keep it safe. We tell each other, keep it safe. This is as a public company can't be divulged. So from that perspective, I don't go home anymore thinking, oh, I told my team that. I wonder if I'm going to get a call from the CEO or the board. That's been really, it's been easier as an executive here from that perspective. Next, Ashley talks about how GitLab has differed from her previous roles. And I think that's a really good point because we actually had an interesting conversation last week, merged these companies together, what are our shared values, where we care about, how do we learn to trust each other, all those types of things. And that was an interesting one where it was like, well, obviously when we go towards IPO or public, we can't be as transparent. And I was like, well, Netflix, like Netflix, they, they did get burned once, but they were very transparent to the team and they had, I couldn't remember, but I, it was very similar, like keep it safe framework of, hey, this is definitely something that like can't be shared versus, you know, something that can be. So I think it's refreshing that it can be done. I'm sure like there's a bunch of analysts or someone who were like, or bankers who were like, I don't know if you really want to do this. Like, I think that's really, really cool. And have you found, this is probably a very different company that you worked at. Like, so maybe start here, like you mentioned previously, but like, what are your previous kind of roles? And then how has GitLab been different with this open path for Versus, I don't want to say closed, but like just different. My past roles, developer at NASA and Oracle. And so as a developer, you're kind of just doing what they're telling you to do. Little why behind it, but that was earlier in my career, so it didn't matter as much. Tableau and Alteryx, I was more of the product executive. I ran engineering for periods of time at both as well. It's kind of the same thing, the, the same path there where really great cultures at both companies and really aligned around a vision both companies did really well, but only to a level could I go and talk to my team about what we were doing. The thing that I learned about both Tableau and Alteryx, both uh, for anybody that's not familiar, data and analytics companies, super passionate about data. One of the most data-driven people out there, but I've never been an analyst. And so I was constantly creating product value based on customer feedback and analysts and all the things, but I've never actually been trained as an analyst. And so it was interesting when I moved over into this DevSecOps category, I thought it was going to be hard. I have spent over 10 years in this one space and it was like copy and paste as far as my knowledge from one company to another, even though they sold to different audiences. GitLab was actually quite easy because I have been a developer. I actually have lived that pain. And fun fact, when I was at Alteryx, I chose GitLab as our platform because I was having productivity, efficiency, and quality issues for my engineers. It was just a really natural progression because I've actually lived that pain before. And so it's really easy and fun to message and sell. Which role do you like best? 
CMO, CTO, or CSO? And that's a tough one. Are, um, are you going to end up having one, or is this? So I, I will be CMO and CSO. That's what okay. that's what I signed up that's for. That's the job. That's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. signed up for. Acting CTO is just in this interim period sure. while we look for our next one. It's actually been really awesome being an acting CTO because it's forced me to roll up my sleeves and go understand GitLab uses GitLab. Yeah, of course. To we've actually because of that we've released over 130 consecutive months on the 22nd of every month. No longer hearing oh we missed the merge train all the things I heard in the past past lives no we we release on this day and your stuff either makes it or it doesn't it's, it's been really interesting rolling out my sleeves and digging in we just had an engineering offsite last week on exactly how we're using the products to develop the product and our priorities because I do think that will make me and now I'll get to the answer to your question I love being CMO here that I think in the end if I can properly communicate to my team all of the things I learned in an acting CTO role that'll make us even stronger as we figure out positions and messaging. We have perfect alignment from your experience as well. So it's, you've done the thing, you know, that type of thing. So interesting. Why this over being a doctor, being a teacher, being whenever, like, why why this? Like, why'd you get into the, like, I guess, why did you become a developer? Because that was the first gig, it sounds like. Is, you know, it was interesting. I was always just deeply interested in technology, which I don't want to age myself, but it wasn't as cool back then. Ashley was a nerd. That's what she's I, I also played soccer all the way through college. So I was, I was a nerd athlete. Uh, which is the weirdest combination, but yes, for sure. That's what a nerd would say. A nerd would totally be insecure. (laughs) Such a nerd. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. That's really going to help my street. Just in front of all your... Yeah, this is really helping me. I was always interested in it. It's a funny story. My last year of high school, my senior year, the the high school decided to bring in computer science, AP computer science, advanced placement computer science. I was one of five people, of course, the only woman in the class, and it was taught by our physical education teacher, Mr. Stefan. God bless him. Okay. So that's exactly what he did. We had this big book and we were all learning C together. But it was actually my guidance counselor in high school that was like, if you think you like this, I think there's gonna be a giant opportunity. Like there is not many women that are in computer, math, all that STEM didn't wasn't really a thing, but we would call it STEM today. And so that's how I ended up on the path. I kind of regretted it. So I did play D one soccer in college and most people were history majors, uh, sports management was a big thing. They had a lot more fun than me. I was in the computer lab till one in the morning <laughs> getting up for where'd you go to school old dominion okay. in virginia uh, but my brother is a doctor he's definitely seen as the family success story because nobody understands what i do oh that works it's for the other words like what do you do and yeah like it's that's interesting and now a q a from you at sas doc 2022 Yeah, so how do you split your time now that you're CMO, CSO, and interim CTO? When it first um, arose that I was going to, in this period, take on all of them, I had this like massive plan to be like 50-50, and on Mondays I'm going to do marketing. It doesn't work that way. The Jack Dorsey it, schedule. It just doesn't work that way. I, what I will say is one of the key benefits of GitLab always being remote is we have something we call an async culture, which means if you're not in the meeting, you can see the agenda ahead of time, and you can go in, and even this week, I'm going to be here today, I'm going to be in London tomorrow. I'm not going to have time for my teams in like a one-on-one capacity or in a group meeting. So what I'll do when I go home and get on the plane tonight is I'll async all of those one-on-ones. I'll see what they wanted to talk about. I'll be able to talk about it. Massively open and constant communication is the way that, that I'm trying to balance all of it, but trying to figure out each day and how to structure it, it's just never going to happen. The other thing I'll say, and I'm really proud of both teams, both the CTO org and the marketing org, you see all the VPs step up. They know how busy I'm going to be. 
they know that this is an opportunity for them to step up and for them to really take their, the reins and, and move forward. And, I, and I've seen both sides just in a tremendous way do that. And that's been really helpful as well because um, it's an opportunity for them and it really, really is helpful from my schedule standpoint. Are one-on-ones normally async? No, no, no. They're, okay. they're t- I was going to say, that's like, I'm like, that's wild. No, yeah, yeah. every week I believe in at least 30 minutes, sometimes more for anybody that reports directly to me, but it's a, a large It's hard right now. Right yeah, now. Yeah. And I'm doing a lot of things like traveling to get to far do my favorite thing, talk about, talk about the company and the culture. On those weeks, we go async. How do you cut through the noise from a marketing perspective? I missed part of that. Cut through the noise. Yeah, like how do you cut through the noise with the right message versus kind of doing what everyone else is doing. Is that cool? That's a great question. That's something that myself and my brand team talk about all the time. We don't want to just follow. We want something that's unique, but we want something I've always been of the mindset. It's best the, the GitHub conversation made me a little uncomfortable before because I want to talk about us. It's my job. I don't think that's it. You do a great job at it. I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about us. But when everybody's saying the same thing, it really, really becomes hard to understand what are the differences. And so we're spending a lot of time talking about how do we have core differentiators and we have great ROI from customers that we can really elevate. What we spend a lot of time I'm talking about is how do we go ahead and do that now? Maybe in a slightly edgier way, just because of who our audience is. They don't want to, DevSecOps professionals don't want to see what we call marketing fluff. They don't want to see all the words. And my CEO will be the first to say sometimes when we're, you know, trying to do blobs with him, it's it's too much. Get to the root of it. It's really helpful to have, you know, I have a great team of developer evangelists. They're the first person for any talk I do on open source or on value. They're the first ones that go through and be like, nope, that won't work. Nope, that won't work. And so it's a really collaborative effort. That is our mission at GitLab. Everyone can contribute. But we try to be really sensitive about don't sound like everybody else outside of our names being very similar in some cases and find that message or two that just really massively resonates. We're still working on it. Full transparency. I think there was two really good points there just to like really call them out. I think one, notice how Ashley was talking about how if they keep comparing or they keep, you know, bringing that up, don't just avoid it. Reposition, which I think is really important because I think a lot of people miss out on that. And that's how you cut through the noise because you're taking that energy and just pushing it somewhere else rather than like ignoring it because your customer, your prospects are already going to have it. And then the second is, is like the edginess. I think in a dev community, and you would know this better than I, I presume it's the authenticity, which you're speaking to. Like the minute it's not authentic, it's like, get the fuck out. Do we bring customers into the fold, customer advisory boards, customer councils? The answer is absolutely. We have two different ways we think about it. One is that core power user, super user, and that there's a lot of involvement with a product team on that, although we do test messaging. And then also, I've always liked the concept of an executive advisory board when we talked about selling to two people, the developers that don't want to talk to a salesperson and don't want to read marketing material. That's where the the customer advisory board really comes in. The executive advisory board really helps us understand, well, where do you want to be in two years? And what kind of ROI do you need to see to continue expanding on the platform? And that one is more strategy and marketing led because that's super helpful to understand how they're thinking about it in ways that we can provide assets to our sellers to really hit home with both different kind of audiences. Do you have any general advice uh, for tech startups who are looking to launch an open source product when it comes to venture capital? From the open source perspective, and that's always going to be 
I'm guessing maybe you're either part of that or, or thinking about it. You're building the IP at first, but then you want, you need to make money on it. You need to figure out how to make that investment. My advice would be, it's gonna take some time to get that core product and it's gonna be free because it's an open source project. When you're starting to add those pieces of value, you have to find the pieces of value that people will then say, all right, I'll pay for that. And what you're probably gonna find, and again, I wasn't at GitLab when it was founded, so this isn't necessarily how GitLab did it, but my advice would be, you're gonna have to find some sort of cost model where they see it over time. You're not gonna come in and say, hey, we're gonna need 50 grand for you to do this next thing. It's probably, oh, $5 per user per year. As more come on the platform, then they start seeing the added value. And by the way, that is still how we charge at GitLab. We have three different tiers. One is free and we do per user per year because we want them to see the investment and then we want them to say, okay, this is worth it. I can bring on another group of customer or another group of users. Okay, now we really need to add more security. So we'll go to the next tier. It's more of the product led growth model, of course, is get them in, get them excited, but don't throw don't do the enterprise play and throw a $200,000 cost in for our price in front of them. I don't think that's going to work in the open source community. Shout out to Ashley for being on the show. Now you have a better understanding of the open source model. Today, we talked about cultivating a technical culture at GitLab. If open source is really for everybody, the downsides to open source, how GitLab is different from Ashley's previous roles, and a Q&A from Stastock 2022. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson from Ashley was your favorite. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.